So we're not even a month into the Biden administration and everybody is ready to move on. We've got restaurant reopenings scheduled for Valentine's Day, weddings of 150 people because that is the scientifically safe threshold for an event. Because not enough people were dying from transmission traced directly (laughs) back to weddings that people did not even attend. Right. Listen, when there's lace and cake involved, that is a barrier to the virus. The virus does not like the sight of them. That's right. The virus does not come out after 10 p.m. The virus will not step foot inside of a church. So as long as you have a non-secular wedding, um, you does should not find. go into Dave and Buster's. You can't catch the virus in David Buster's. Right. David the virus Buster's. has been ejected from Dave and Buster's <laughs> taking off its clothes. It's company and- policy. You know, you can't you can't get around you can't get around company policy, mm-hmm. you know. Welcome to the Death Panel. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. We do two episodes a week. This is the free one. Next week, we will be doing a massive special series of interviews for you. Yeah, we usually do two episodes a week, one one in in this uh, public feed and one in our patron feed on on patreon uh but yeah next week will be a format shift so we have starting on is it the 8th yep yeah starting february 8th um our second annual medicare for all week which we're very excited about yeah um we've got most of the interviews recorded we're working on editing and uh transcripts and stuff like that right now um but it is going to be do not do not miss it you're not going to want to miss a single one of these interviews i promise it's uh yeah it's a really really good one this year yeah i mean really what we do here is basically we wish it could be free all the time but the more Patreon support that we have, the more we can pull crazy stunts like six straight episodes, all Medicare for all. Well, so that's coming up. But what we have today, you know, we're how many days into the Biden administration? About a month? Not even. No, 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 B. <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> it's been two weeks. It's not it's even felt two like weeks. Four months. I'm sorry. Okay. Everyone seems very ready to move on from COVID. Like, COVID is in the rear view. We've got this issue of vaccine inequity. And all of this, of course, is coming with the backdrop of still astronomical case numbers. We've had minimal dips in the mountains that you're seeing, but we are nowhere near even the peak of the spring. And everyone's going, well, this is trending better. We're returning to where we were at the peak. Right. And it's still like, you know, two thirds higher up on the graph than yeah. the peak of I mean, the spring. I mean, this has been driving me insane because I feel like every, like almost every piece of uh, news coverage you see, le- like when they talk about cases, they lead with, well, cases are sharply trending down. Yeah, and it's trending like, down. It's still, like, a tre- yeah, tre- trending but, down from where? Right, exactly. Right, trending like, down from a, a peak that is, like, would have, like, absolutely been staggering and surprising in the first four weeks where the sort of consciousness about the virus was was set. I mean, it's really like it's the 
the fact of or like the social fact of like the seven day or 14 day window of uh, monitoring that that your people are looking at these things is like it's kind of uh, it's a it's a bad social technology. Like it's 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 useful to go back to the spring and to just like have <laughs> right. the long window on uh, because that. Yeah, it just gives you a much better sense of like what should our expectations uh, be. But right. it, it's it's amazing how time works and how how essential consciousness about time is because if you bracket the window that way you can you literally can say things like that i mean it's it's not wrong reporting to say like <laughs> it's down yes it is that is like an editor would look at that and say correct print um but you know con- as they like to say you know, in certain media verticals, like context matters. <laughs> right. It's down relative to what? Right. Right. In, in, in what perspective? And yeah. And meanwhile, this is being used to all, all over the place. So I think we're going to talk specifically about um, like what's happening in uh, like two Democratic uh, controlled states, for example, California and New York with uh, governors Cuomo and Newsom. Um, right now who are both like dramatically rolling back previously in, in place restrictions on a on a variety of things doing literally the opposite of what you should do because as we've talked about a lot um, re- recently like the thing that you do right now particularly as the vaccine is going out uh, starting to go out is like do a paid shutdown of everything right like do a uh, do a series of lockdowns with like with extremely substantial social and economic supports. And instead it's like, okay, like mission accomplished. Mm -hmm. I mean, it literally feels like the Bush, like the W Bush era, right? Like mission accomplished. Like, uh, we did it. We beat the virus. Like COVID is over. If you want it, like COVID is over, especially if you're like part of, uh, if, especially if you're like part of a privileged class of people, for sure. Or if you've been able to get the vaccine or something and you're insulated, then like, I'm sure it seems like it's it's like all good and fine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, this is a question I think we've we've asked uh, kind of since the beginning of the the pandemic, which is like at at some point we sort of supposed, I think months ago, that it would be advantageous for people who have like governing authority to to pretend that the pandemic did not exist. I right. kept thinking right. of like the question, like, how do you hide an empire? Uh, how do you hide uh, a pandemic? Now, it's like I kind of feel like comparatively easier to hide the American empire because, you know, in like in the uh, Immerwar book, it's like, you know, you can literally like take territories off the map of the United States. That's right. e- fairly easily done. And but then you think like, OK, it, it would seem harder to hide a pandemic like it's, you know, quite literally in the news every day. We have all of these technologies to like monitor it. There's all of these redundant systems that exist to remind us the pandemic exists. Like I would think that it would be a great deal harder to hide a pandemic than to hide an empire. But uh, I guess I've been sort of thinking about it. And I think we're talking about it. it, It's, it's less about hiding it than re-narrating it. Um, And I kind of feel like what we're moving into um, and we'll talk about some examples of this, I guess, today. But like, it's almost like um, 
you know, like a like a, a book by Thackeray, like a rise and fall <laughs> uh, book. So we're like you have part one of Barry Lyndon. Um, you know, it's like that's that's the narrative of part one. And the narrative of part two is supposed to be entirely different. So like the narrative of part one is like force majeure, act of God, circumstances led us to this uh, point and we did the best that we could. Right. And part two, part two is important because the virus is a very inconvenient set of conditions for people with governing authority. Like on the one hand, it's like people are just upset. They're just pissed off. I mean, that, that's just like the most basic like and it sort of doesn't matter why or what. Like the, the conditions of people's lives are not great. So like very unsurprisingly, like the approval of all of these governors who thought that they were like above reproach is now <laughs> about it's it's on the verge of cratering. Right. Uh, as we expected that it would. <laughs> right. Um, but then it's also like. You know, it it throws into relief these questions that I think to really to really ask them or to to present an answer to them uh, creates challenges for like the governing regime. So, like, you know, you have this question like, okay, well, do we do these things, you know, to provide social protection, to like acknowledge a role uh, that the state should affirmatively play in, in, you know, people's lives that don't really have constituencies within the dominant uh, sort of interest group uh, party regime, right? Like we, we do these things that like essentially, you know, are, are a contestation to that regime and its central idea about what government is for. Or do we like take a gamble on uh, policies that while they would benefit a lot of people, you know, uh, there's not like a concentrated constituency for them for them yet. So it's like you would assume that people like, you know, Governor Newsom or Governor Cuomo would want to find a way of re-narrating it, uh, re-narrating the pandemic that allows them to avoid having to, like, engage in these questions about the nature of government and, like, the the role of the state that that are, like, a real disruption uh, to to the way that things uh, work. And I do think that that's what we're seeing, like, mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. And I th- I think one thing that I that I haven't been able to stop thinking about, which is like part of ha- this whole conversation for me is like the way that words are shifting meaning throughout the pandemic and not just like words like casually being used. You know, there there's obviously like a number of meanings for like what essential worker means in the press. Right. But also essential and essential worker are being used in policy documents, in legal documents, in official statements. And it means a completely different thing from instance to instance to instance. And I feel like so much of what you see from governor's offices right now is this like selective employment of very specific meanings of terms that are also being thrown around and really generalized. So they're sort of like, you know, intentionally working in this sort of vague area where all of all of this like framing and reference for how we're going to sort and allocate resources throughout the pandemic is sort of contingent on these words that have tons of different meanings. Yeah. I mean, it's I, I always find it interesting that the term essential worker, I, I was trying to trace the origin of it. Um, and it actually comes from Department of Homeland Security, right? Oh, my, oh my God. God. Really? Are you- yeah. I mean, it comes from um, <laughs> the uh, agency within DHS that is uh, 
uh, targeted on critical infrastructure. Uh, it's the cybersecurity and um, uh, infrastructure uh, agency within uh, DHS. And initially, like I think the terminology of essential worker had been around for, for some time because it's the workers that work in what what DHS regards as critical infrastructure. So right. you think about like everything from like the electrical grid, transportation, um, you know, that that critical infrastructure is a term that's like kind of amorphous uh, too. Um, but, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, DHS released this guidance on who was an essential worker to states right. um, a, as a way of sort of like setting expectations. But then I think, you know, what happened is that terminology, which is already sort of like freighted in interesting ways, like what's a, what is critical infrastructure? Um, it's like people <laughs> what are our like, strategic national interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Infrastructure <laughs> that people who have power regard as critical, I, I, I guess. Right. And right. if you take it like in that meaning, then it is uh, it can become uh, pretty amorphous. And of course, like when you're using it for different purposes, the nature of who's essential and who isn't uh, is going to uh, to shift. Yeah, and I think this was really well pointed out. And uh, I mean, not the thing about the about homeland security because I think that's a. Uh, I think I feel like that's a, a really important context, actually, that is, I mean, not only I, w- I was going to say often missed, but like is just, you know, not present in the conversation. How when we say essential worker, actually, you know, um, th- this even further actually even further kind of reinforces the, the you know, George W. Bush sentiment yeah. uh, feeling that I was uh, talking about because that was, you know, also a period when it was. You know, when everything, you know, uh, keep X and Y out of the press for matters of, you know, national strategic uh, interest or for national security uh, purposes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, I think this really important um, fact about that kind of like linguistic slippage or semantic slippage over what an essential worker means was really well um, pointed out in this uh, opinion piece. And I think a nursing journal uh, by uh, Claire Simpson and Cora Olson, uh, which I, I just mm-hmm. want to highlight because I don't think because I think, you know, this this wasn't like widely this wasn't necessarily widely circulated, but it's really interesting because one of the things that I think they they essentially pointed out really astutely is that um, you know there was an initial uh, meaning, like a, an initial yeah, there was an initial public meaning for essential worker, or also I think that I think the same exact uh, process happened uh, in in the in the UK too with the term um, key worker. Yeah, but there was this initial uh, meaning behind what essential worker was, and it was okay. Well, you know. Uh, novel, scary new virus. New York is going into New York and a couple of other places like are going into uh, like stay at home orders. Everyone is going to stay at home. But, you know, we have to go. We, you know, everyone should bang their pots and pans at <laughs> seven o'clock out their windows to thank all the, you know, grocery uh, workers and, and nurses and hospital staff and all, all of these other, uh, you know, people who were still, um, you know, out on the front lines. Mm-hmm. Um you know, still, still out in the world facing an infection basically to, you know, keep the, to keep the functionings of our political economy going. Right. And over time, and especially as you point out, be in the way that it's now, I think, employed in policy documents, the right. way that it's employed in, in the, uh, rhetoric and framing of, uh, you know, speeches by governors and other politicians and other, other figures, essential worker has, you know, obviously, as we know, over time has bled over into all these other categories, et cetera. You know, there was a, there was a big, um, 
there was a there was a big sort of like tabloid style uh, public public relations fiasco over the fact that like a Soul Cycle instructor had gotten the vaccine in New York yeah. and had said like, well, I'm a I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, etc. But you know, like it's not w- with what is happening across across the fucking country and all the different like eligibility possibilities. Yeah, I'm yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if there was if. Uh, the argument were made like, of course, soul cycle teachers are essential workers because slowly soul, uh, soul, <laughs> because slowly essential worker has morphed into like, well, do you have a job? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're essential. You know what I mean? And that's not to, that's not to discount the, the, like the fucking dangers of being a line cook, for example, uh, or the dangers of being like a, a nurse or, or, or whatever, any of these people who under different definitions, depending on what state or even municipality you're in, uh, qualify as ex- essential workers. That's not to discount any of that, but it is to say that slowly what has changed. And I think what is again, pointed out really, uh, really really forcefully um and and with a lot of clarity in this uh in this um Claire Simpson and Cora Olson uh opinion piece that I that I'm referencing is that it has slowly morphed to encompass basically anything that allows us to privilege sort of the traditional workings of the economy yeah as opposed to protecting like as a, as opposed to whatever it was initially intended right. for as it was used towards the pandemic I- I think one way that I, I keep returning to this is like, what does essential describe? Like, or right. what, what is it? What What is it being applied to? So like I, my work in one way or another, like our, all of our work is essential because that is like under capitalism. That is what we must do to survive. Right. Uh, so like our work is essential to us. Uh, we might have relations with others that make us essential uh, to providing something for somebody else in that in that exchange, um, but the, like the way the DHS means uh, essential is like essential for national security, right? And the way that you know, if you look at the contributions to the big boost in GDP between quarter two and quarter three of 2020, and you can go down by sector and look at where the boost came from you can see like what the gdp as a technical object regards as essential mm. which is you know anything that allows it to increase and <laughs> so like the sectors where you saw the huge increases like tourism uh you know accommodations food service and these sorts of things is like for whom are we being regarded as essential um that that is ultimately like the question i keep returning to yeah i mean the there are two types of essential, right? You have essential for actual vaccine priority, right? Which is sort of being framed right now as, okay, we've got uh, hospital workers, we've got firefighters, we've got police officers, uh, we've got people in long-term care facilities and cancer patients, right? And so that's sort of like what the essential vaccine priority is. Let's take New York, for example. In the same press conference, you'll have Governor Cuomo say, we've got to open essential businesses, and that includes restaurants. <laughs> right. And then... For Valentine's Day. Right. right. And then when people say, well, what about those essential workers who are in restaurants that you've allowed to open for in-person dining? Why don't they get added to the list for essential vaccine priority? And he throws his hands up and gets 
upset. And it's because there's these like these two definitions, right? And and a lot of the people who are in charge right now are, are using both. I think that is a, a really good point is that those moments where you see, for example, like Cuomo get pressed on something and he gets fussy over it is right. I think that like they've been operating in this domain, sure, where there are, you know, a couple of running flexible, always sort of being redefined definition of what essential work right. or key work is. And then the the fact that those would appear to like otherwise conflict or something just, yeah, I don't know, like creates maybe what, like either uh, <laughs> exasperation or impatience, I guess, in, in, right. in like uh, for like for Cuomo, literally as he's doing his press conference, because he's like, well, don't you know, when I say essential worker in this way, I mean it like for this and when i say it for that who way? we're going to prioritize for the vaccine yeah I mean, it's like, like it's like he's asserting his right to a selective uptake of when <laughs> essential is going to mean one thing and when it's going to mean another and it actually this reminds me so much of something i was talking about in my conversation with abby curtis and rachel cohen which was our patron episode from monday which was um about how a lot of times what we're seeing when studies about school transmission are reported on in the, in the media and the studies lay out pretty pretty plainly what's safe and what's needed to safely reopen you have this selective uptake of those recommendations and only certain things are reported so you only see like you know everybody needs to wear masks and they won't mention yeah and there's like you know hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of HVAC upgrades that need to happen for each district and what you really have is you have essential for vaccine priority and then essential in name only and when governors are bending to the pressure of the restaurant lobby and sending people back to work like line cooks or wait staff or bussers, they're essential. But when it comes to keeping them safe, there's no one actually backing them up. And it, it, I think that when Cuomo's getting upset, he's frustrated because he's been relying on this sort of selective use of a lot of these terms because this has been a strategy all along you know well, i mean you- it, yeah yeah it's like th- these terms were supposed to like define the boundaries of how we were like managing the pandemic like initially it was like you're essential and and by that i mean <laughs> you have to be you know at work exposing yourself to the risk of the virus that's how essential you are right um but the thing thing that is like happening is uh to like it's it's important to have that category be broad right uh because that allows you to you know deal with this the these you know demands from like restaurant owners like hey no one's bailing no one's here to like bail us out so then what are we supposed to do don't we have to like reopen it i i would refer to this as like the violence of subsidiarity like it's like no (laughs) one's here to save us so we will just be fighting for our interests as we regard them um however we regard them or like whatever is most primary um but then it's like when it comes to having a a scarce resource you can be essential but not essential enough you can be right. essential you can mm-hmm. be essential for the purpose of keeping the economy open but not essential enough to risk the uh political reputation of somebody who's managing the vaccine rollout uh to be on a priority list mm-hmm. um again that's something that can't change. You must become flexible. People at lower and lower levels must have become flexible. You must become willing to engage in the violence of subsidiarity. But don't expect anything from us. You're not right. that essential. 
Right. Which I think is also where, you know, when that, when that also comes head first with the fact that, uh, so many people who are sort of going to be in decision-making roles, whether it's like politicians, public health officials, or like, for instance, actually the kind, let's say the kind of MDs who write op-eds, for example, who mm-hmm. are going to be simultaneously people who are prioritized as healthcare workers, one a right. Um, and who will be, be early to get vaccinated. And then who also are like, you know, if they're writing opinion pieces, they're going to be from there. This is kind of what I, where I get into this thing of like, or this is kind of where, where I think of this as that kind of, um, this process of like hyper normalization that I was mentioning before, essentially where it's like, it's, it's so easy to joke about like a, a tale of two pandemics or whatever, but I feel like you are actively seeing that divide happen just enormously in terms of the, the overall public discussion. And it's not just because, you know, Biden is, uh, like Biden is in and, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of liberals are mollified, um, by that or, or whatever, or, uh, or because like now that Biden is in like governor, like democratic governors in not just New York and California, but also in, um, uh, I think Michigan and Illinois, uh, and I think Massachusetts, like a couple of other places can, it's, you know, it's not simply that they can just say like, oh, well, we have some cover now. We can just say like, well, we've got the vaccine, we've got, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We can expect certain types of aid. Let's like open things up now that, uh, cases are going down, even though that's obviously going to just like put cases right back up again. You know, it's, it's not just all of those things. It's also this, like with all of these things colliding, that is then being interpreted as, oh, well, it's like almost over or something. Yeah. Cause for them, it either is almost over or it, or it, or it's like they have the, maybe they've been vaccinated or something. And it's like, well, you know, the perceived risk to me, mm-hmm. uh, my, my understanding socially of what's happening overall, right, is, is then become skewed or something. Yeah. Like I get that they want to be done with it because. I think a lot of people who are state governors, um, particularly for large Democratic states like California and New York, are used to certain treatment in the press and they're used to uh, a certain role and responsibility in civic life. And I don't think that they particularly love feeling like they're taking blame that they don't deserve because I'm sure they feel that they don't deserve blame for any of this. I mean, when when Cuomo was challenged on the way that New York State reported deaths in nursing homes. Oh, my God. He got very upset for being challenged and said, you know, who cares if they died in a nursing home or if they died in a hospital, they died. You know, doesn't matter. And what I've found so interesting is in a lot of coverage of, you know, drama in the state where you have... Like for for instance, Gavin Newsom, there is a group in California who has been trying to get signatures together to, I guess, get him removed from office. It would go up for vote as a ballot initiative in September if they could do it. It's like the way that it's being reported on is like, oh, is it even worth challenging the Democratic leadership of the state when there's this challenge to, you know, Governor Newsom and he might be removed from office. And, you know, why are we really expecting anyone to like him right now? It's like dealing with a 7.1 earthquake every day. Like, you're going to have to make some hard decisions and no one's going to like you, you know. And there's this sort of like PR speak that I think that is going on in these administrations where they're like, it's fine, it's fine. Like, people are going to be bad no matter what. And what that translates to is what has essentially just been from a policy perspective, like 
doing whatever they're pressured to do the most. And they're getting the most pressure from from like restaurant organizations and, you know, tax revenue, not from like keeping people safe. They, they I don't think they feel pressure to save lives at all right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, this is the uh, the sort of very uh, unfortunate like part about this, which is in the absence of uh, some sort of like, you know, like the, when when Congress didn't, you know, do the CARES Act times two, or like when it when it saw the CARES Act mainly as like the the kind of bill that you would put uh, up in response to like the Great Recession or something, you know, like or like era, right. like when it did that, um, however much larger it was than than what it did in the, the Great Recession is is immaterial. Like, but when it styled it that way, um, it just allowed these it it, it created. Uh, these uh, kind of pressures. I mean, it made it, it, it created, a, I think, kind of politically um, kind of, uh, you know, noxious environment for, for doing anything uh, for public health. But, you know, the, the thing where I will not let these governors off the hook on is how do you think Congress would react if even a small handful of very large states with a huge con- contribution to GDP, like how would Congress react if they suddenly took very strong proactive measures, right. uh, like shutting down a significant portion of the economy, Congress mm-hmm. would more or less be forced to respond. So instead, what they're saying is it sort of wouldn't matter what we do on that front. Um, Cong- uh, the assumption tacitly is that Congress wouldn't respond. It wouldn't change the the sort of dynamics at all. And so the, the best thing they can do is kind of save their political hides as much as possible, um, you know, respond to these dynamics and make the assumption that people will not hold them responsible for the increase in deaths. And, you know, what's I think frightening to me is that that assumption might not be wrong. Right. right. Uh, in in right. the sense that, like, I was reading some reporting on California and the, the reporting sort of went like this. It's like California did one of the strongest lockdowns, you know, in the country uh, in the spring. And yet the virus still continued to, you know, spread probably, as one expert they quoted suggested, <laughs> uh, probably because people reacted to it so negatively. And so they started <sighs> gathering privately, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, out, oh. outside of public spaces. So so so. You know, when when Cuomo says like it doesn't matter where they died, no, it absolutely matters where pe- the 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 conditions in which people um, contract uh, the virus, because that tell that that is like essential to framing what the policy solution around this ought to be. And the main metrics that we see every day, the ones that are reported most consistently are these ones that are just generic metrics at like, you know, the state level or like the jurisdictional level. It's like, you don't, we don't, we, yeah. yeah. And when they're that abstract, it's entirely possible to just push it off into like, well, it must've been those people, you know, in their (laughs) living rooms. Never mind the fact, please ignore the GDP statistic behind the curtain uh, which suggests that like economic activity, consumer activity increased like rapidly in California between quarter two and quarter three. Right. That's between June and July. Uh, mm. So like, r- r- you know, whatever one might say about like, oh, Cal- California did like the strongest lockdown. Like it didn't 
you know, uh, it did, did, didn't do like a real like paid uh, shutdown in the way that we've been talking about. Like it did not. Um, you can't just chalk this up to this would have happened anyway, and it's pan- pandemic fatigue and living room spread. Mm-hmm. But in the absence of like actual like you know metrics of that, states can totally governors can totally paint this narrative where it doesn't matter what they do. A certain number of deaths is just baked into the uh, the forecast. I'm and I'm happy that you uh, brought up that example, Phil, in terms of how this is framed and the and s- especially some of the specific things that like some of these experts say about uh, pr- like particularly that, that what you're saying, for instance, about the lockdown in California in the spring, um, because one thing that I want to want to mention is actually, you know, we, we haven't talked um we haven't talked so much about California, uh, on, on the, on the show actually over the last couple of weeks, which is a bit of a, which, you know, is a bit of a missed opportunity on our part because there's a lot of really fucked up stuff that's been happening there. And because like the, the death rate has been so astronomical in California too. But for instance, uh, California is one of our examples here because, you know, despite all of these deaths, but despite only being on like, you know, a short period of time decrease in uh, new cases again, relative to the very high amount of cases that they were up before, because the virus is totally out of control. You know, they're they've like rolled back these restrictions. California had um, in the in the late fall initiated this um, stay at home order, which was then just recently have you know declared that the stay at home order is over, meaning that uh, a number of crazy like hair salons can reopen and certain types of like restaurant dining can reopen, etc. Um, throughout the state and. The coverage of this, yeah, is exactly the the or not just the coverage, but some of the things that the the sort of experts that are trotted out in the in like media coverage of this that you know do do have a strong then social reproductive function of both uh, you know producing uh, an understanding of what um, is happening here, and then also frankly giving cover for people like Newsom and Cuomo to say like, mm-hmm. well, well, we should do this anyway. You know, locked the the this is in a way some like one of the things that we. Um, didn't get into in the in like the case for lockdowns uh, episode, for example, where where we talked about how like a you know coalition of uh, different different people kind of like disabused people of the notion of the the one really good non pharmaceutical intervention that we have, uh, you know, attesting that it didn't work essentially. But in the coverage of uh, the recent lifting of the stay at home order, for example. I'll I'll read one quote from uh, Bloomberg, uh, quote, the trajectory of COVID-19 in California, which imposed strict public health restrictions (laughs) early but continued to see rising infections, has long baffled experts. (laughs) Those types of, quote, abstinence only measures may have driven people to gather privately spreading the virus, said Amesh Adalja, a senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins Center uh, for Health Security and an infectious diseases physician. And so I just want to point out, you know, outside of the sort of specifically explicit like anti-lockdown discussion or whatever that happens, this language, right, this like abstinence only thing, this is a line that people try to, another thing that people use is they say like, oh, well, uh, you know, um, it's not really about doing lockdowns. It's about harm reduction, et cetera. It's oh. about like reappropriating this term. And so let me read like, for instance, another, uh, this is a piece from, uh, Julia Marcus writing in the Atlantic, um, not a favorite, um, quote, public health experts have known for decades that an absence only 
abstinence only message doesn't work for sex. It doesn't work for substance use either. Likewise, asking Americans to abstain from nearly all in-person social contact will not hold the coronavirus at bay, at least not forever. The kicker for that is that was not written recently. That second thing that I just read was a quote from May of 2020. But it sounds exactly like the way that people are still talking Uh, about this. Well, that's really, that's even more interesting that, you know, that was the line in May because May was the first month that you started to see states abandon their, their most restrictive measure, whatever that was states abandoned it. And, and, you know, like I want to distinguish too, because like these term, this terminology is just a, is a dog's breakfast, but like (laughs) there's stay at home orders, which, you know, eventually most states like become advisory, but like what we are talking about is uh, the closure of, for example, non-essential businesses, right. uh, and and like that economic uh, component, and so it's like the, by May these states were already like plan, you know, they'd already been planning to shut things down uh, or to to reverse their their decisions um, like week weeks earlier, weeks before any sort of decline in cases like happened. They had like the date uh, certain, and the. You know, now it's like very clear to see like the kind of sociology that is like guiding this decision is like this person is a, you know, um, you know, a public health expert. Right. This is like it's probably reasonable to assume that uh, that some number of people with the ear of governors like saying these sorts of things like you can't just expect people will uh, this is not going to like work forever. It's like, you know, uh, you know, there will be fatigue and so on and so on. But like. I think it's important to distinguish like all of the like slippage that, that's going on here. Like no one like no one is saying one that it would have to or that we would expect it to work forever. It's a question about until when, like until, you know, uh, certain capacities like ramp up. But then the other thing that I, I find strange is like no one is talking about like a, you know, forcible like bolting the doors of the houses shut uh, lockdown that was never discussed in the United States. It's simply a question of like, should I be walking down my street uh, or walking down one of the streets in the east side of Milwaukee and see like a packed restaurant, which I have, right? right? Like, is that good? Do we think that's good for the people who are working there? Do we think that that's good for the people who are dining there? Do we think, you know, like that's the question. And the uh, real like thing that one wants to know is the paper trail of these decisions. Like these are decisions that led to deaths. These are decisions that led to disease um, right. and, and, and long-term disease in many cases. Um, we need to know uh, how those decisions uh, were made. We need to know what the discussion of like the narrative framing of this uh, was, you know, because like Newsom, for example, has said like, no, 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 all of these, is, you know, of course, governors and mayors are like, of course, saying this, like they have their set of metrics. They're armed with their the scientific, the sort of the rhetoric of science. And they're like, these are decisions made with the consultant, uh, you know, consulting by public health experts. We're, you know, basing them on the data. And the question is like, fine, you can say that. Uh, what would you say if I told you that the data and the science that you based your decisions on, uh, however you know robust or sound you might have thought it was, your decisions ultimately contributed to people's deaths. How do you feel about that? What do you think the evidence tells you now? <laughs> um, and and that's like that's the very sort of uh, 
kind of question that needs to be asked. But this is, I mean, it's not like people ask governors about their plans. They ask them about the specs, the details. They don't ask them about like what they think about the effects their decisions have had. Yeah. And I, I think it's like very telling that that you see basically the same arguments being used in May again in the fall after like, because you would think that, you know, there was a little bit of a shutdown. Let's say in May, June, a lot of places resumed economic activity at a more robust, more normal, quote unquote, level. Cases exploded. Oh, gee. Oh, my. Like, we do a lockdown-ish? Not really. We don't even do a lockdown again. We just gesture at one. And it doesn't work. Cases are super high. And then you make the exact same arguments to ease the restrictions that have barely made an impact when cases are, you're at a plateau maybe, but it's three times the peak of what you were looking at the last time you were making the exact same push of, well, you know, people just can't be expected to do this for this long. People are going to get bored. Everyone's going to socialize. If you eat the cheesecake, you're going to put on the pounds. We've got to take personal responsibility. Got to double mask. Well, I mean, like, the decisions are, lit- I mean, it's literally absurd because when is. you when you see something like, you know, for instance, uh, whether it's um, the like whether it's, for instance, California, um, just, you know, going back to having like indoor dining or whether it's the, uh, you know, Cuomo saying, OK, we're going to we're going to bump up the amount of uh, people out at a wedding to 150 or we're going to, um, you know, in- increase indoor dining capacity, et cetera. It's literally I mean, to the point to the point, you know, I think Phil is gesturing out of like how, you know, what is the I you know I think it gets to something that we've talked about before, which is like what is the tolerance? What what yeah. what what are the what is the amount of death that you are just 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 like planning for that you're just like allotting in? Like what is what is what appears reasonable to you? Because the decisions that are being made are plainly there. Are, I think there are only two good uh, <laughs> interpretations of them. One is that. These decisions are being made because, uh, yeah, the like governor or something is subject to quote unquote pandemic fatigue that they're, you know, blaming, uh, individual people and their actions for having, Mm -hmm. um, and they're deciding, you know, I'm just going to like be, be a fucking ostrich and just like, you know, not, I'm just not going to look, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. And I'm not just going to not watch the consequences of my actions. People are going to be mad at me either way. Or these are exactly the decisions that you would make if you were like, Oh, cases are trending down. Let's get those back up. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, no, these are, <laughs> if you were trying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and like the big, the big sort of like the end proof, like people are like might be listening to this are like, well, how do you really know any of this? Right. It's all so complicated. Like I, I you know, <laughs> Obviously, right? But then there, then there are moments of clarity. So I went to I, I saw a presentation um, maybe like in March by an economic forecaster who I really like respect and is like knows knows what he's doing, and like the thing that you know he was people were asking him how long is this res- the, the the coronavirus recession going to last? How long are the, <laughs> the economic effects going to last? And his answer was very like. It was like very Bruno Latour like answer. He's like, the virus will tell us how long this is. And and I think like what was guiding his assumption at that time, and, and I think, you know, what was guiding a lot of the assumptions is like that um that we would react to the virus in a way that was responsible. 
uh, right. from the perspective of, of saving human lives, that we would, in fact, maintain uh, a precautionary uh, approach to doing this that really didn't think about the, um, you know, the the temporary uh, loss in, in, you know, GDP or that we would we, we would really take like a sort of whatever you know, new, you know, quasi new deal or new, new deal sort of approach like dealing with this. But, you know, what ended up being the case is like the virus hasn't determined necessarily how long uh, this is like, sure. You know, at some level you could say that, uh, you know, people are still engaging in like less consumer activity than they would have had the virus not been there. But the change in the economic forecast over the last year are proof positive that it's not the virus that determines this. It's the decisions that people make who have authority. And this idea that it's like, oh, it's so complicated. We don't know what our actions would do. Like, we know exactly what happened. Two things happened. One, we relaxed the lockdowns. Uh, uh, the You know, the economy sprang back to life. Like, unemployment <laughs> rate was cut in half in the matter of a quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people died more. Right. And it didn't matter what we did. It didn't matter that we, if you look at the rates of testing, we're doing more and more. We're doing in, infinitesimally like more testing than we did in the spring. We have more masks. There are more masks. People are engaging in more. Um, I think we could all say like certain norms around social distancing are far more embedded into culture than than they were before. We've done all of this stuff. We're still where we are. Right. right. And and it's and it's not like it's not just the cumulative number. It's like the seven day number. We're still where right. we are. Well, and the fact of the matter is, is that one thing that I think has been very underemphasized throughout the pandemic so far has been that we cannot rely on one or even only a few of these non-pharmaceutical interventions, the only way this works is through all of them. We have some things that help with some of the worst parts of the disease, but there is no cure for COVID. The vaccine is not rolled out. But without doing masking and testing and paying people to stay home, we can't just say like, oh, if we just test everyone, it's going to be fine. If the conditions are such that if you're tested you are still going to have to be moving around in the community just in the time between your test and your results. What's the point of the testing infrastructure? It's not going to meaningfully, on its own, suppress case rates just because people know if they're positive or not. That's not magic. I'm sorry. Exactly. Well, I mean, there's there's also the question of like... Um, so like many people in like workplaces that are back at work, there's a like some sort of like check system, you yeah. know, a, a, uh, you know, check in, report your health status system. But like you have to like think about it this way, you know, this uh, the idea that like employers are universally generous about uh, the way that uh, <laughs> they, they responded is like, come on, no one who's actually working now, you know, really is, is, is like very few people who think are like, oh, yeah, it doesn't really matter if I don't like, come in. So like you do the check system and it's like, do I re- it asked me if I have a sore throat? I swear I have a sore throat. Do I report it? Um, do I then have to like go get tested? Do I have to engage in all this, these, these a huge transaction cost of like going out and getting the thing and like, like it, that, and that tells you a lot about what you need to know about why this is continued to spread. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and then on top of it, I think the 
considering that the overwhelming sentiment and advisory, right, the overwhelming certain certainly like federal advisory, uh, the and for for the most part the messaging that you're you're getting from like mo- fr- frankly most people. Although I am heartened now to several weeks after our episode on lockdowns to be seeing more and more epidemiologists every day posting on Twitter, at least like we do need a lockdown with social supports. That is great. That is great. If you are, uh, if you're one of those people who has, you know, recently started taking that up, um, from your perspective, whatever, no, no matter what, like fucking credentials that, uh, you, you have like good on you. Great. Thank you for getting here with us. Um, you can see little glimmers of it now in the public discourse, where you, whereas it was just completely absent from the conversation about a month ago. Mm-hmm. But it is still extreme, extreme offshoot. Um, the other thing is, but the but so sorry. What what is the advisory? The advisory is mask up, wait for your vaccine, and I know that it's one thing to talk about um, the like all all the bungled problems uh, with the vaccine, and that fundamentally, really, you know, so so much of that stuff is not actually a problem, as uh, as we pointed out before, is not actually a problem if, for instance, like supply was generous enough that it was just you know it was it wasn't an issue. But I just keep thinking about uh, maybe actually B, if you want to if you want to mention this uh, instance of, you know, mm-hmm. not because I, I know we're not talking about the essential worker category anymore, for example. But I uh, but I think that, you know, keeping in mind what we were talking about earlier about essential workers, I think that some of the some of the specifics of how this these advisories and this messaging even gets translated through actually employers and employment mm-hmm. um actually shows how there, there's actually this there is so much missing that is elided by just saying oh well we're we are now you know vaccinating essential mm-hmm. workers and stuff um you know not to mention even the fact that like initially california had been like california for example had been vaccinating essential workers and then j- literally just changed their categories <laughs> and their categorization so a bunch of people no longer qualify but yeah. so yeah i i got permission to share uh the circumstances of one of our listeners um employment situations they are a custodian at a hospital in the midwest and um they are a contractor for the hospital. They're right. not a hospital employee directly. And in their state, um, the hospital, like in many states, actually, the hospitals were given, you know, vaccine allotments in order to vaccinate their frontline workers, their essential workers. Right. And what's happened is that the people who prepare the food in the kitchen, who are also contractors and the people who clean the hospital, who are contractors, have been left out of the vaccination priority process of the hospital because they're not actual hospital employees, but they're contractors. So the hospital has said that the contractor is responsible for vaccination. All of these custodians work 1099 for the contractor. They're not even full-time employees of the contractor. They're all 1099 work. And so the contractor says they're not really set up, coordinated, or responsible to vaccinate their their contractors who are not employees but contractors. And so you have the people cleaning the hospitals, the people cooking the food in the hospital, unable to get vaccinated or 
qualify for the vaccine under the conditions in the place, the physical place where they work, because of the sort of arbitrary distinction of the hospital doesn't actually technically employ them. And so what the fuck is a person like that supposed to do when the governor in the state has trusted the rollout to hospitals and there isn't public health infrastructure where they could go in their community and get vaccinated. And yeah, maybe the CVS also has it, but this person said there isn't a CVS in their town. So they don't even know where to go. And if you call the public health department, they don't know where to tell you to go. But he still has to go and clean the hospital every day. Yeah, this is, I mean, and this, this like phenomenon of governors using the, the hospital system or the insurer that they know best as the primary, uh, you know, means of distribution uh, for the vaccine is like, it is now like we have, it's like at least two states, this is the case, right? You see these, these sort of arrangements and it's, you know, it, it's just one piece of the, the puzzle, but it's uh, again, the sort of idea that like, you know, th- this, this approach to like governing can't change. We have to keep doing this. Everything else <laughs> like does have like you this is now a law have of to nature, accept. Phil, don't you know? This yeah. Is, and this is and how like God designed governance. Yeah. Your life will have to change. <laughs> you will have to adapt. You will. It will be the new normal for you, but not for this, this uh, mode of being. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the, the contractor example just makes me think like, uh, as we mentioned, you know, like, let's say, you know, governor decides as Cuomo and Newsom and a number of others have like, you know, we're going to, we're going to partner with a state hospital chain, or we're going to partner with like a state insurance, uh, company, for example, to, to manage the rollout. Um, <laughs> like it's, I mean, it's interesting cause it's basically, you know, well, what we live in, I mean, we live in a country where, you know, labor situations have been so gutted, and so many opportunities for fucking chicanery like this bullshit of, you know, someone who is an employee of the hospital, but is, you know, employed 1099 as like a subcontractor or of whatever, you know, obviously. And as we as we know, narratively speaking, that we understand that like that also happens at a whole bunch of other levels in our government. We've talked plenty about like the many consultants, whether from McKinsey or Deloitte or whatever that uh, that, you know, uh, sub in for have for real public health uh, department advisory or, or whatever. Um but, you know, it's like obviously already the state is um, is like prioritizing things like what public private partnerships and like, you know, throwing the throwing the vaccines that they're buying at at hospitals or whatever hospital systems and allowing them to um, to sort of run response, even though the even though, you know, most like the, the fact is that hospitals and insurance companies are both, you know, designed structurally with a bunch of impediments so that it like. Like both both of those, the the way that they are managed, the the essential way that they are run is mostly counter to what you would think of as the the goals of public health because they're right. like hospitals and insurance companies are intended by design. Like the the thing that they do logistically day in and day out is 
gather every bit of information that they can about someone coming in to see whether they qualify or not, as opposed to just saying, oh, you're a human being who's here right now. You're telling me that you haven't gotten the vaccine yet. Great. Let's do it. Right. right? Like, it's funny because it's just like, OK, so these, so you're, you're going to throw your vaccines at public private partnerships. <laughs> but then your idea of what that public private partnership constitutes is like stuck in the 1950s or something. Oh, no, you know no, what but, I mean? But they're like, going to do like a tax incentive to get these companies to incentivize the companies to vaccinate faster and all will all will be solved i'm sure yeah well and that's the thing is like Artie and i were talking about this yesterday a lot which is just like everything about the american healthcare system like every person who uses the system is actively day in day out anytime they use it they are being trained not to use it as a culture and a yeah. society all of our systems of administration of health, all of our systems of um, care are designed to discourage, to disincentivize, if you will, utilization, right? So why are we surprised that when we delegate responsibility for public health goals to institutions designed to discourage engagement with healthcare? That things blow up in our face and fail. And you only have to go back to... Because to me, it seems obvious. I mean, you only have to go back to 2009. Yeah. Only only really a decade ago when the major, you know, article that was being passed around the White House on the eve of the drafting (laughs) of the Affordable Care Act by Atul Gawande framed the main problem that healthcare reform was supposed to solve as utilization. Mm -hmm. I mean, you want to... you like, that is the... Like, it, whatever, if John Yu is persona non grata, you know, in, in like, uh, you know, among some like liberal legal circles, like, Atul Gawande should absolutely be persona non grata. I mean, that is the thinking, that is the state mind that, like, that, that is sort of lands us here. And yeah. it's, I think it's important to like highlight that because, like, one obvious response that we are already, like, and we knew from the beginning we would see it to, to all of this is like, you know, people see the government trying to respond uh, and failing to respond to the pandemic. And they're like that's just oh, that's a, a goldmine for the, you know, the argument that like the, the state can't play this important role, that the state fails. And like we have to like only if we only live in like the market utopia that we will <laughs> like, oh, that's the only way of doing this. And like it is so important <laughs> to define what is wrong within this state uh, to, to, to say one, here's a problem interpenetration of uh, capital into, into the state and these logics. Like uh, this is one reason why these policies are being uh, pursued, but also this idea that like the state's role should simply be to whatever, allow or to create the context in which this sort of like, uh, market activity by which i mean quasi monopolies like flourish <laughs> um not to like you know adequately provide for people's needs like that is the problem mm. right that is the problem and uh, when you look at the way that things are working on the ground uh, with with the vaccine it's not just the fact that uh we don't have a larger supply because you know we, we continue to allow like a patent uh on this uh vaccine but also like sort of at every level we have regarded the the preservation, like the sanctity of this idea uh, about the way all of this should work uh, to override the 
you know, the ends, uh, 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 you know, and then the sort of demands of the moment. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, I wouldn't, it is interesting when so much of the, so much of the, uh, discourse and so much of the public, uh, discussion around, yeah, the provision of healthcare in general is like one, oh, it's so fucking expensive or two, it's like, oh, there's, there's so much waste or, Etc. Like you could imagine seeing, you could imagine someone with a straight face, someone like Atul Gawande saying with a straight face, like, oh, well, you know, vaccinating every single American is an example of overutilization. You know what I mean? Um, and while that being said, I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why, since, you know, again, Atul Gawande comes from, comes from this fucking think piece factory world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think this is one of the reasons why we or why, you know, why we hammer on certain ways that things are like socially reproduced in the press, um, for example, because, you know, to, to take the words of, uh, of uh, Julia Marcus, actually, <laughs> again, in the Atlantic. So Julia Marcus, who wrote the thing I mentioned earlier, it, um, that was from May of last year talking about how. Oh, the I, you know, the lockdowns or the uh, the stay at home orders. Uh, failed because it's asking people to take an abstinence only approach to the virus conflating quite a lot of uh, things there Um, now is writing well you know we've got the vaccine we've got the vaccine rolling out and it's it's dangerous to tell people that they can't change their behavior after after they have the vaccine like as though that was the big problem right now like (sighs) The like as though the reason why the vaccine rollout is is uh, like being bungled or it's like being or or it's or there's just the fact that it's fucking frustrating a lot of people (laughs) making a lot of people angry and making it so that like a lot of people currently not only can't get it, but have no fucking idea when or how they're going to get it. They have to know what the difference is between like what in their state, what is their advisory in their state specifically what does that say in some situations like there is a different for example the city of philadelphia has different advisories and is in a different phase than the state of pennsylvania so you have to know where you are what that subnational advisory is then who you have who your state or municipality has partnered with and where the fuck you're going to get it and but those no, places apparently, of course have individual sign up pages which are all super fantastic and built to a high quality standard of usability, accessibility, and definitely <laughs> work know. all of the time. And nope. I'm sure there's enough staff in each of these tiny little fucking pharmacies <laughs> to even man and manage and administer no, these but, fucking sign up. No, pages. but the real problem, according to Julia Marcus, is that we're telling people that, well, if you get the vaccine, just be careful for a while and you still can't like hug people and you should still wear a fucking mask because there's a bunch of unknowns. Like, I'm, come on. I'm wondering where she's like living and, and working like, you know, I, I, I'm working in person, talked to a, a, a colleague the other day in the office and, and you know what we're talking about with the vaccine? It's like, oh yeah, when are we going to get, I don't know. They said March, maybe. <laughs> oh, then they said February sort of. And then they said March, maybe again. And they're like, oh, what lists are, are, are you on the, are you on the one for Meyer? You on oh the one God. for Rite Aid? You're on oh the one God. for it's like how like we're like on like five or six. We're like, oh, yeah. Well, I saw this other list. Like, maybe you got to get on that. And like, do you know anyone who knows someone who might know someone just yeah. in case? This is madness. 
Yeah. Uh, and and like the world of the Atlantic sounds why I just I love that the world of the Atlantic is just like the it is like a, a comedy of manners. It's like, oh, like the major problem is like we don't want to be telling people something that might make them feel bad. I mean, it's it's great. I listen, Phil, people have suffered enough it. this year to tell them that they can't hug grandma or take their mask off when they're singing happy birthday in the middle of the nursing home because they got vaccinated that is just inhumane let me put it let me put it this way too first of all that okay that exact that exact situation you're talking about phil is why i in particular think and partially just because i think just like phonetically the words like sound a bit funny but i think they also like really get to the core uh of this which is that like i really think that like zocdoc.com slash vaccine is the death of language but like, <laughs> on top of it on, on but on top of it like the fact the thing that you mentioned about oh which listserv are you on or whatever is just making me think and i'm sure that there are plenty of people who can like uh who, who will recognize from personal experience exactly the situation you're talking about but like i was texting a friend who lives in the state where my where my parents live right this is before uh this is like right when my my parents became like eligible for the vaccine and i and uh they they thankfully they have an appointment now but like they have an appointment i was trying to like get uh, trying to make sure that they could get one i was talking to a friend and this friend said and i will quote um my mother also has some scheme going so (laughs) like let me know etc and you know i'm not not to mention anyone or whatever but just to just to say this whole thing like why do you think when there is why do you think when every fucking city when every fucking state releases like who has been vaccinated that it's like clearly affluent white people have gotten the vaccine first that it's so obviously so weighted there's something funny about the dc race vaccination proportion or something is exactly what matt iglesias tweeted out this morning it was the first thing in my feed that i saw when i was going on here yeah he's like it's so weird look at this are you serious I, I mean, you I know don't what's expect weird much. and unexplainable systemic racism, huh? <laughs> Gee, <Ooh. laughs> anyway, no. And I, I think I think the thing that is incredibly worrying is like what you see happening in California now where they have just completely changed what their priority uh, categories are going to be. And they've gone for this uh, sort of blanket age strategy. And what you're hearing from a lot of disability rights activists in the state, which is Basically, just that, well, you know, a bunch of people who were high risk are now deprioritized by age. And um, they're like, yeah, I don't know what to do because we can't get attention. We can't get the governor's ear. We can't get them to listen to us. We can't make a big enough press stink to get anyone to fucking care because the governor is too busy working tight with Blue Cross Blue Shield of California to make sure that an insurer that covers very few people who are low income or minorities can help get vaccines to low income and minority Californians. Like it does. No wonder it's a mess. (laughs) No wonder. Why? Why is anyone surprised? It's not it's not that there's this secret um, 
cabal of government scientists who know something that we don't. It's not that governors know that there's a problem with getting the vaccines rolled out and that it's impossible and they're paternalistically withholding information and trying to protect people. I've gotten a lot of messages from people who have said, hey, like, are you sure there isn't something that Gavin Newsom or Cuomo knows that we don't? Are you sure there isn't like maybe they know that like we just don't have the supply and that even if we did a four to six week shutdown that that we wouldn't be able to bring cases down or we wouldn't be able to get those vaccines out. To, so at the end, people would be left wondering for what? Why did we do that shutdown if people still died? And I'm sorry, but that is just that's not the case. There is no secret uh, information that they know that we don't. Yeah, well, there is. And it's what they do know is state GDP projections and state credit rating projections. They're but being disingenuous like, about their motivation. I mean, but even if they're like, OK, like what's the, what's the, the presumption? Well, there, there's secret information they know we don't. The only way of getting that information out would be to get mad and to demand, you know, and to like, uh, you know, make demands on it. It's, it's like this idea that like, uh you know, that the real, like the problem here is like oh, the lack of trust um, in, in government. I, I think it's, there's a simultaneous problem. There's like a lack of trust in, you know, s- some pretty basic uh, things, but simultaneously I, I get this sometimes this injunction for th- this level of trust that is absurd. And I don't know why you would have it. Like I, I remember canvassing for like a, a, um, an initiative to like, you know, force the city of Milwaukee to deal with the fact that we have like lead pipes all over town and, you know, blood lead levels of children are like really high. And I remember asking people like on their doorsteps, like, do you know what the city is doing about this? They're like, oh yeah, they're doing something. It's like, no, no, they're not. Like they've been very, very good at convincing you that they have a plan, but it's like a hundred year plan. Like we'll all be dead. Um, you know, so it's, I, I think that's, that is as much an issue. Yeah. No, exactly. And I I think that's why it's always so important to consider the the framings and the ultimate material effects of of what each governor is actually pushing, because so much of it, as we've been talking about, is presented in an abstract way because they are managing expectations like public relations is a discipline and a thriving industry in the United States. So much of the modern governor office is devoted to press relations and managing image and managing expectations. And that is exactly what's going on here. And it's actually quite simple. It's a function of how to sell a particular approach to maintaining the political economy. And what we're doing right now is being pitched and it is up to us to call bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's no, it is. It's like at some point when the state has given up or like when the, the ideology is like, oh, the state can't do this or, or ought not do this, or we're going to like just starve the state of funds to be able to do this. Like there's still a huge demand for the communication specialist. That's the last remaining vested. That's like, you know, the, the last like true like form of state power. It's like, well, you know, we're not able to do this, but we're going to be able to tell you why and explain to you why it's in fact your fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, I hope you all enjoy Medicare for all week. Yes. Um, <laughs> I need it because, at this point. I'm, it's, yeah, I'm ready for it. I, I, I think we're coming to the end of this 
conversation here basically, but I will say since you've, yeah, since you've gotten this far, I guess a couple of things. Um, one, yeah, look, please enjoy, please listen to uh, Medicare for all week. We put a lot of, uh, a, a lot of work and thought into it this year in particular, how to and love into it. <laughs> There's so much. I got, I I just have to say we've recorded the the vast majority of the interviews now, um, and having gone through and and uh, edited them, I'm incredibly excited for people uh, to hear this. There is so much that we tried to uh, contend with in this, uh, from things like uh, obviously we you know having to address the uh, coronavirus crisis. There's quite a lot. I think listeners uh, will be really happy with especially towards the towards the back half there is a lot of discussion of sort of the the overlaps of the necessity the necessities for within the both the health justice movement and the abolition movement you know i think an incredible incredibly important uh component of this particular since we're only a few months from you know mass mass fucking social uprising for abolitionist demands over the, over the last year. So um, there, I want to say that. The other thing is, you may have missed Vince uh, on this episode. Um, Vince is doing fine. but Vince if is you, okay, Vin, Vince but Vince is, has COVID. Vince has COVID, yeah. yeah. So, so um, he's resting. He's going to be, he's we, he's resting up. Um, he seems like happy and fine, but um, don't bug the, don't bug him too much. But like, yes. you know, keep, keep, uh, you know, Wish him well, I guess, basically. And, uh, you know, hope and hopefully Vince will be back soon. But. Yes, we hope yes. so. And I feel like this is probably a good place to leave it for today. I'm sufficiently fired up uh, and angry as ever at Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, Medicare for All Week is coming up. This will be the last full episode before Medicare for All Week, which will start Monday, February 8th. Six straight days of interviews, and those are all um, those are all uh, going to be in the public feed, totally free. Um, but if you uh, if you can, if you enjoy Medicare for All Week, if you get something out of it, um, and you want to help us be able to do more stuff like that, and the stuff that we've uh, been doing, um, been putting a ton of effort into uh, into the show. Please, yeah, uh, support us if you can. Patreon.com slash death panel pod. Yeah. Yep. Anyways. um, Okay, gang. As always, Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week. All right. See you later.
I don't know. What's the most depressing public-private <laughs> partnership that exists here, other than you know, obviously, it, it's all it's all public-private partnerships from the top on down, from like you know the the like Deloitte people who uh-huh. are advising the federal response to like whatever. I think my my uh, favorite example so far has been just seeing just seeing people like public officials from Chicago tweeting about go to zocdoc.com slash vaccine (laughs) is like i feel like i feel like uh, public private partnerships would be like you know i I, they've existed for for a very long time but like in the early 20th century it's like they they had to have seemed shiftier it's like yes please uh trust the partnership between the chicago department of public works and mcgillicuddy's fine (laughs) (laughs) fine elixirs done I mean, honestly, I think if we did a public-private partnership bracket, it would be one of the most difficult decision-making processes possible. There are simply too We'd many. have to probably have a, a, a consultant for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Just yes. to map the yeah, just to map that tournament, that round robin tournament itself. Yeah, we should see if the if the uh, folks in the Discord might want to organize around figuring this out, doing a big bracket together. I love it. But also, like public-private partnerships, don't they assume that there is the public? exactly it's not not so much a public private partnership uh response to the pandemic as much as a a network of private entities who are loosely strung together okay so public in this situation is just a symbol right it's a signifier it it represents something but it's not something actually public yeah, is it's an like idea, the rivets on your jeans like they still <laughs> exist but like who uses the rivets on their jeans for any purpose no it's uh i i finally understand the margaret thatcher line that there is no such thing yes. as society because in fact society the quote-unquote public the demos is in fact a rat king of all <laughs> private <Yes>. entities <laughs> Well, you're like virgin. You're like you are one glass of uh, brandy away from like getting into like public choice libertarianism. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, America. Never happening.